Well, today we're continuing our series called Safe Haven. We've been learning about this, this, um, this need of us to have places of safety in our lives, that the home should be the safest place on earth. I mean, the first news I got when I came back to the United States was that there was a bombing in Manchester, England. And just heartbreaking news that these young girls, I mean, these aren't soldiers, these aren't politicians, these are teenage girls primarily that went to see a concert and many of them never returned home. We also learned that 29 um, Egyptian Christians were shot by terrorists on their way to a holy site. And we just live in a world that is very hostile and violent. And we may think it's all over there in Europe or the Middle East, but it's right here in our own backyards too, even in our own homes. Our daughter-in-law attended a retreat last weekend for survivors of domestic violence. There are a number of, of women in our own church who've been victims of violence in their own homes by the person that they ought to trust the most, their husbands or their boyfriends. And so violence has been an issue, and and I can relate to that because I grew up in a home that was marked by violence. Uh, Harsh words, uh, loud loud, um, yelling, um, threats. And so our home wasn't a safe place. And my dad wasn't a safe person. He was like this powder keg um, ready to go off at any time. I remember one time my brother came home from high school and he brought this, uh, it, it was a school assignment, he brought a, an egg home. And this egg was, was to represent a person and he was to care for this egg for the next few days, take it everywhere he went and make sure that he didn't crack the shell. And the point was to help, help kids realize that human life is fragile and requires gentle treatment. And I believe that's true of all of us, that we flourish when we're in an environment of, of gentleness. But it's not a virtue that's valued today. And I think that's what bothered so many of us in last year's political um, uh, campaign toward the presidency. Watching candidates pick and beat on each other and recognize that the men are not acting like gentlemen. And it seems like that's kind of a lost virtue today. Maybe we blame it on testosterone or maybe it's the fear of if I'm, if I'm gentle, I'm going to appear weak. So I've got to be tough and I've got to be harsh and I've got to be brutal for people to respect me. But you know what? If you look at Jesus, one of his primary characteristics was that he was gentle. And you know what? People flocked to Jesus. People felt safe with him. In fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and humble in heart. There are a lot of us guys in this room that need to learn to be gentle men like Christ. Probably some women too. So we're going to talk about that today and learn from him how to do this. Okay? Would you be willing to go on that journey with me? Well, let's ask for his wisdom and for his Holy Spirit to work in us today. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. May you, may you convict us, Father, where we've strayed from this value. And help us, Lord, to allow you to work in our hearts to bear the fruit of the spirit of gentleness so that people would see Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to share with you a story of Jesus actually practicing this gentleness. It's found in John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. It says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple court, speaking of Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. 
The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, there's some facts with the story that, that are very clear. One is, as there was this woman caught in adultery. There's no denying that. Nobody challenges that. She was caught. She's brought before Jesus while he's teaching in the temple court. So there's a crowd gathered. It's as if they, they planned this event and brought this woman before Jesus in the front of a crowd of people to put him on the spot, to see how, how he would weigh in on this because they, they were setting up a trap. They wanted to see if he was going to be loyal to the law or if he was going to be merciful to the person. And this is going to put Jesus in a tough spot because if he's merciful to the person, he must not love God because he doesn't honor God's law. But if he honors God's law and does what God's law says, he's going to watch this woman get stoned. How can Jesus watch this woman get stoned in front of everybody else? What we don't know is, is what makes this story kind of crumble because there's several things we don't know. For one, we don't know who the witnesses are. The Scripture does say in the book of Deuteronomy that if someone is caught in the act of adultery, there needs to be two or three witnesses that have caught them. Now, that's got to be pretty tough. And when you think about this, what, what guys in particular are going to stand up and say, we're the ones that saw this happen? I mean, who's, who's the peeping Tom out there who watched them go into the dark room and peeked in and actually caught them in an intimate act? I mean, nobody's going to fess up to that. It sounds kind of low, doesn't it? So nobody, nobody actually steps up and says, we saw them, we're the ones, we did that. Because it almost make it sound like, why were you there in the first place? Was this a setup all along? I mean, there, there's no witnesses. So how can they do what the law says when they don't have the witnesses the law requires? Secondly, we don't know who the man is. Did you know that when there's an act of adultery, there's actually two people involved? There really is. And so the woman is here, and she's brought, and, and we don't even know how she's clothed. She's probably got just a, something draped over her. This probably isn't the first time she's been involved with someone else. She's being shamed in front of everybody, but where's the dude? Come on, is he out there in the audience? Which one of you is he? Shouldn't he be stoned too? In fact, the law says that both of them would be punished for the crime. But he doesn't step forward. There is no other man. And then we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt. That, that's so puzzling. I mean, he, he stooped over, he began to write in the dirt, and they kept questioning him. And then he stooped down again, said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Maybe what he wrote down was a list of their sins. Maybe what he wrote down was the women they had been with. Whatever it was, it convicted them. I think he could have wrote, written down a verse from Proverbs that says, The Lord hates seven things, a lying tongue and hearts that devise wicked schemes. Ouch. Whatever he wrote, it convicted them. And it says the older men understood first and they walked away and the younger ones dropped the rocks and they left too until it was just Jesus there standing with the woman and he never excused her adultery. 
He didn't say, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, everyone has their flaws. He said, woman, I'm not going to condemn you at this moment. We don't, have, we don't have the people required to do that. He's not saying what she did was, was approved. Because then he tells her, go and, le- and leave this life of sin. Don't do it again. Well, Jesus tells us to learn from him. And I think that story gives us a good example of what we can learn from being gentle. And, and the first thing is this. Whenever Jesus is present, there is gentleness. Gentleness is evidence that Jesus is there. Jesus was always gentle. He couldn't help but be gentle. That's just who he was. So if it was with children, when they were around, he was gentle with them. If it was with um, the, the, uh, the demon-possessed or the crippled, he was gentle with them. If it was um, the women, he was gentle with them. It was Gentiles gentle with them. The only people Jesus was not gentle toward were blatant hypocrites. But, but everyone else, Jesus was just gentle because that's who he was. So we are told in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. If the Lord is near, there ought to be gentleness. If the Lord is near in your heart, if the Lord is living in you, gentleness ought to be a fruit. Now, it doesn't come naturally. Gentleness isn't something that comes naturally. It is a mark of spiritual growth. We, by nature, are, are harsh, insensitive, careless. That's, that's who we are, some of us more so than others. And, and we just tend to resort to that way. We retaliate when someone hurts us. We, we just, we're just that way. But it's a mark of Jesus' presence in our lives that gentleness begins to reign. It says in the Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it lists nine evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of those is this. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. That if Jesus lives in you through the presence of his Holy Spirit, gentleness ought to be evident. And we see gentleness promoted all through scriptures. Gentleness, what is it? It's being humble, courteous, tender, kind, mild. That's from the Tyndale Bible Dictionary. When Paul wrote to Timothy instructing young believers, he said they should flee the passions of youthfulness and they should pursue things like righteousness, love, faith, and gentleness. But it's not not held up as a, a value today. It's not something we, we elevate as something to pursue, to be a gentle person. It says in 1 Timothy 3 that one of the qualifications of an elder is that he's not a violent man, not quarrelsome, doesn't like to argue, do verbal battles, but that he's gentle. The Bible tells us, especially as husbands, how to treat our wives. It says be considerate to them and treat them with respect. Gentleness is a fruit of someone who has Jesus in their lives. If Jesus lives in you, he will, he will work on you to make you an increasingly gentle person. I've seen that happen in people's lives. I've seen it happen in my own life. I grew up in a home uh, that was pretty, pretty violent. Now, now, my dad never physically abused us, but, but he was verbally violent. There was always tension in our home. It was definitely not a safe place. And so many of us grew up with a, an edge to the way we talk to one another. We grew up with, with tempers. But you know what I've discovered as I've walked with the Lord is, is I've become a more gentle person. I still have those rough edges, but I'm much more gentle than I used to be. Last week, I, I read a, a message from someone who, uh, who said that as a pastor, we shouldn't have taken an anniversary trip to Europe. That, that, was, that was uncalled for. That was inappropriate. A lot of other people never get to do that. You shouldn't get to do that. And, uh, and obviously, you've been taking money from the church in order to fund your trip. 
And, uh, you know, I read that, and, and it made me mad. Um, and my first response was, I, I, I want to be harsh. I want to put this person in their place. And you know what? The Lord just kind of whispered to me, let it go. You don't have to defend yourself. And, and actually, he filled me with more of a compassion for this person, feeling sorry that they have to look at other people with judgmental eyes for the good things, rather than to rejoice with those who rejoice. He's filled with criticism. And you know, that, that wouldn't have been me in old days because I want to do battle. But you know what? It reminded me of Jesus when he stood before Pilate and people accused him. You remember what he did? He was silent like a sheep before the slaughter. He didn't feel a need to defend himself. And so gentleness is a characteristic of Jesus living in us. It's not a natural response to a harsh world, but it's a supernatural manifestation of the presence of Jesus in the life of a believer. In Titus, Paul's writing to a young pastor, and he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now, now get that. Always... Be gentle to everyone. I mean, there's like no loophole. Like some of the time, I, I'm, some of the time I'm justified not being, no. Always be gentle toward everyone, even my enemies. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the Jesus approach. Now, here's one of the struggles we have with gentleness. We equate it with wimpiness. We, we look at someone who's very effeminate or very passive and figure, is that what I'm supposed to be like? No. That's it, it, not. It, wimpiness is not the same as gentleness. A real man is someone who's a man before he's a gentleman. And I love what John Wayne says in the movie McClintock. You've got to be a man first before you can be a gentle man. There's a toughness to being a man. There's courage and there's strength and there's power. And yet it's like steel covered with velvet. There's strength and a softness. That's a gentleman. It's not a wimpy man. It's not a man with no backbone. But it's not a bully either. It doesn't go around hurting the people around him. Gentleness means that he restrains something that could crush someone. Now I think of this when I, when I go to a dog park. If you've ever gone to a dog park, we have two big dogs, they're golden retrievers, they're 70, 80 pounds each, and they're the sweetest dogs. And yet when they go to these dog parks, a lot of these little dogs come around and they act big. I mean, they're just, they're just barking away and, and they're jutting at you and they're acting like they're going to attack you and you want to punt one across the, you know, the field. And they act so tough, you know, there's a little, little Jack Russell there nipping at you and, and you just know those big dogs out there could reach down to one bite and crush that little doggy snack. I mean, have you ever been around? You know, golden retrievers are kind of sweet, but get around a Doberman Pinscher or a Rottweiler, and you're real nice to that dog. Nice doggy, nice doggy, because you know they could hurt you. That's, that's like a gentleman. He has the power to hurt and says, I will not do that. So you don't tell babies to be gentle. They can't help but be gentle. That's their only option. But you tell the adult, be gentle toward the infant because you can hurt the infant. Gentleness is, is a characteristic of someone restraining the ability to hurt someone. I mean, you think about it. Jesus was the most powerful person that ever walked this planet. He made the earth. 
He put, every, he put all the planets in place. He's king of kings and lord of lords. If anyone had a right to put someone in their place and put their thumb on them, it was Jesus, and he chose not to. He restrained that through this characteristic of gentleness. In Isaiah 42.3, this verse is applied to Jesus in the New Testament. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I mean, think of that, a bruised reed. If you've ever seen a, a stalk of grass or a reed and it gets pinched, it starts to go like that, where it was pinched. It's a bruised reed. It, it's, it's bent over. It's ready to break. He says he's not going to snap it off. He sees a candle that's starting to go out. He's not going to pinch it and snuff it out. That's not what Jesus is like. He's actually going to come and, and, and lift it up. See, I, I know real men lift weights. Real men lift people, too. They don't crush them, they lift them. And Jesus came knowing that people are pretty broken already. I, they don't need me to break them. I, I need to be there to, to lift them up, to make sure that reed doesn't break, to make sure that candle doesn't go out. Gentleness is present wherever Jesus is present. And the second lesson I learned from this story is that gentleness is effective in changing people. Gentleness will change people more than harshness. Paul, the Apostle Paul is really a man's man. If you, if you follow Paul, you feel like, man, that guy, he, he's a tough guy. And yet, Paul, when he's describing how he interacted with young believers, compared himself to a mother. In fact, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. I mean, how many of you men talk about, yeah, I was like a nursing mom to you? We don't talk like that. But Paul, this tough guy, says, I was like a nursing mother. Now, I've watched a lot of moms in our church. And I've watched them with their infants, and they're very tender. They're very gentle. They're very self-sacrificing. They're very attentive to the needs of that little one. And Paul says, that's the way I've been toward you. Very tender, very caring, very attentive to your needs. Now, I, I would say this, that I, I wish women would continue to have that attitude all through their lives because many women, when they get older and try to figure out how to change their husbands, forget that gentleness still has the power to do that. And so we badger, and we press, and we criticize, and we shame, and I wish you'd be more spiritual, and I wish you'd be this and that, thinking that that's going to cause the man to want to change. And yet the Bible tells us to be like Sarah through a gentle spirit, You'll have much more progress in affecting your husband than chastising him. Gary Smalley, uh, he's passed away now, but he had a lot of wise things to say about this issue of gentleness in a marriage. And he says, women are kind of like butterflies. They, they're, they're very sensitive to the climate around them. They can adjust very easily. And then uh, they, they can smell the scent of the flowers. And they can move around with that kind of nimbleness. But he says men are more like buffaloes. A buffalo is not affected by the breeze. And a buffalo steps on the flowers. And he says what oftentimes happens in a marriage is the woman is the butterfly and the man is the buffalo. And both have their value. I mean, the buffalo can do things that a thousand butterflies never could do. But he says what happens is, is the buffaloes carelessly hurt the butterflies. And I know from personal experience, there are times when, when I inadvertently, carelessly crush the spirit of my wife or my children. And you know what happens when a spirit gets crushed? It, it's like it goes like this. 
And you know when, you, when, when you've offended someone, hurt someone, and you've been loud at them, and you've been aggressive with them, and they've closed up, and you press them further, like, come on, let's talk about it. Well, let's talk about it right now. That, that doesn't open up. And you can try to pry it open. We're going to talk about it. It's the last thing we do on earth. I'm going to open you up. You're going to do more damage. It has to open up willingly. And the only way that heart is going to open up willingly is through gentleness. And when someone humbly and gently comes and says, okay, I was wrong. Let's talk about this. It starts to open up. How many of us would be far more effective as fathers, even mothers with our kids, if we would learn the power of gentleness to affect change in our kids' lives? Well, I don't like what they're doing. Uh, they, need to, they need to change. They need to do it differently. I get that. I know that. But our approach is, is, is too violent. Our approach is too aggressive. Look at Jesus. It worked for Jesus. It'll work for us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. How? Gently. Gently. That's how you affect change. Years ago, there was a movie called The Horse Whisperer, and it promoted a, a different way of training horses. See, the old style was that you had to break the will of the horse. You had to actually beat the horse down into, into submission so then you could build the horse back up. And this man came along. His name was Buck uh, Branahan, and this man grew up in an abusive home. His father was an alcoholic. His father beat him and his brother. They were actually taken from the father's home and put into a, a Christian foster home where they lived on a farm and actually worked with the horses. And that's where he learned a better way of training horses. And it became known as this horse whispering of, of treating horses with respect, of trying to identify with their needs and being sensitive to them. And he proved that you could actually train a horse successfully, not with violence, but with gentleness. And the point of the movie is that it's not just good for horses. It works with people. We learn better when someone is gentle toward us. Now, I know there's an occasional time where someone has to get really firm and really tough with us. But more often than not, the the best um, education we'll ever receive is when someone is Firm and yet gentle with us. A strong backbone but covered with velvet. It's when a dad can look his kids in the, in the eye without the threat of violence and say, and say, here's what daddy expects of you. Here's what you need to do. And here's why this is important. It goes a long way into bringing change into our kids' lives. Force and harshness can get quick results, but gentleness brings lasting change. I mean, you can threaten someone, do it or I'll beat you. And you get them to change momentarily. But I'm talking about long change. You really, really change in a person's life forever. A, a, a change that's permanent. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was a very uh, aggressive man. He used to persecute Christians, have them drug off and stoned to death. And he approved all that. And then God got a hold of him, changed his name to Paul. And, and Paul became the greatest missionary that's ever lived. And when Paul recounts his conversion story, he says it like this. And he writes it to a man named Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13 and says, Though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. God doesn't give us what we deserve. God's not violent to the violent. God's merciful. In fact, you can, you can scare someone into the kingdom through the threat of hell. And I know that's a real, that's a real threat out there. But, but God, if you look through the, the gospel message, it is focused on the love of Christ on the cross. 
And that's why it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, why do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God would prefer you respond to the fact that he was so kind to you in giving Jesus to die on a cross that you'd want to change rather than the threat of if you don't change, you're going to burn in hell. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. See, gentleness doesn't incite change. It invites change. It creates an atmosphere where people want to change. And you can see it on a small scale even when you're in the midst of a heated argument, how gentleness can diffuse spiraling violence. You see that in the midst of an argument. You're, you're, you're raising your voices and things are getting um, harsher, things are getting louder, things are getting more critical, and it may be an argument with a friend or your spouse or your kids, and it just keeps getting, goes up, up, up. And the more harsh you are, the more harsh they are. And then someone decides to put a stop to it and, and decides, hey, I was wrong, or I don't want to do this anymore. And all of a sudden, gentleness changes everything. It stops the spiral. It says in Proverbs 15.1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I mean, if you continue to press and press and use harshness, you know what you're going to get in response? Harshness. But if you respond with gentleness, it diffuses things and it allows you to start to have a really sensible conversation. You're in the midst of a heated argument with your spouse and your voices are getting louder. You're not going to accomplish anything. You're just venting. At some point, someone has to say, hey, hey, let's just stop this. Can we just back up a little bit? Or can we take a time out? Let's approach this differently. And when that happens, there's a break in the anger. And all of a sudden, a couple can work through an issue because gentleness has prevailed. It has power to change things. So how do we become gentlemen? Or for some of you, gentlewomen. What do we do to enable that to take place in our lives? Well, here's some things I think that would help us to learn to be more gentle. One is just surrender to the shaping work of the Holy Spirit. Recognize that that is God's goal for you, to be more like Christ, to let the Holy Spirit live in us, produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and all those things, including gentleness. God is at work wanting to make us more like Jesus, and where Jesus reigns, there is gentleness. It's one of the dominant characteristics of someone who's filled with the Spirit of Christ. And God will bring you into situations that will help shape that in your life, situations that will that will cultivate gentleness. There was a lady that I worked with years ago, and she was on our staff at, at my prior church. She was known as a very harsh woman. Um, she had a very sharp edge, seemed to be very insensitive to people. And in her late 30s, she got married, and then at the age of around 40, she gave birth to her first child. And all of a sudden, having a little baby in her life changed her. And she became this real sweet person that everyone loved to be around because being a, a mom changed her heart. I think for many of us, it's when we have kids that we start to soften. We realize, like that, that fragile egg, I need to be a gentle person with those around me. Second thing we can do is understand that people are already broken. We don't have to break our kids. We don't have to break the people around us. They're already broken. They've broken themselves far enough. They don't need us to snap the the wounded bree or the bruised reed or snuff out the candle that's on its way out. They need us to come around and lift them up. So, so don't feel like it's your job to break them. They're already broken. And don't confuse gentleness with weakness. The enemy will whisper in your ear that you have a right to be harsh. I've known pastors 
who have been convinced that God has called them to be bullies, to be harsh with people. And in almost every case where I've seen that, that person has been removed from their position. And I believe it's, I believe it's because of this. A shepherd is someone who's tender toward his sheep. God calls us to be gentle. And you, you can't blame it on your parents. Stop blaming it on your job and the stresses. Stop blaming it on your genetics, that you're Irish or you're Italian or whatever you are, or, or your hair color. Quit blaming that on your attitude. Just say, I, I've got a new DNA in me with Jesus. And that DNA is going to dominate going forward. Choose to practice self-control in words and tone and action. I mean, to actually make the choice. Watch the tone of your voice. I err in this a lot at home when things are stressful and, and I'm edgy or haven't slept well that, that my voice can get more harsh and I don't even know it sometimes. My wife is the Holy Spirit that reminds me. <laughs> and you know what? We've got to watch what these hands do. Many of us in disciplining our kids have turned these hands of discipline into, into weapons of destruction. And, and out of anger, we don't discipline our kids. We hit our kids. And friends, that's abuse. That's why if, if you have trouble with self-control and gentleness, maybe you shouldn't spank. Maybe it's something that's off limits for you because you don't have control. There are other ways to discipline your kids. And what do you do when you fail? I failed in that way. I, I've spanked too hard before and regretted it. I've spoken harsh words to my kids and my spouse and my, my, my workers here, fellow workers, and I've regretted. What do I do? Is God disappointed in me? Is, is God going to reject me? Is God ashamed of me? Well, I would say God's probably a little disappointed because he wants the Holy Spirit to reign in me, but he's still kind. It's his kindness, remember? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. There is grace at the altar for you.